Okay, well, let's finish up the Satipatthana Sutta. Yesterday morning, we talked about the hindrance. Well, we're in the fourth Satipatthana. There's five major teachings, uh, the hindrances, the five aggregates, the six sense bases are next. Again, monks, one abides contemplating phenomena in respect to the six internal and external sense bases. That's the six internal organs and the six external objects of those organs. How does one do so? How does one contemplate them? Here, one knows the eye and knows sight objects. And one knows whatever fetter arises dependent on the two. And then uh, I like Maurice, Maurice Walsh's footnote here, which gives a list of the fetters that arise dependent on the eye and its objects that we're supposed to be mindful of. And it's a list of ten fetters. Interestingly, it's not the same list of ten fetters that correspond with the four levels of awakening. And I just wanted to briefly talk about both. The ten fetters associated with the six sense bases and what and and which ones arise are sensuality, so in other words, greed, resentment, so in other words, aversion, pride, wrong view, the view that there is a self or isn't a self, doubt, desire for becoming, attachment to rites and rituals. Rites and rituals were something that a lot of the Brahmins did at the time of the Buddha. They thought that was the way to get emancipated from suffering through rites and rituals like killing calves and stuff like that. Jealousy and, let's see, two more, avarice or extreme selfishness and ignorance. So it says, one abides contemplating the six internal and external sense bases. And how does one do so? One knows the eye, knows the eye object, and knows whatever fetter arises dependent on the two. So look for one of these fetters. Um, And if you can't parse it out, just kind of look for greed and aversion. That is... That'll be a great start. Now let me say something about the fetters associated with the four levels of enlightenment. The first level of enlightenment is marked by the abandoning of three fetters. Uh, One is doubt. There's no more doubt in the Buddha Dharma Sangha in the stream entry. So you abandon doubt You abandon self-identity views. So this is really a personality view. 
kind of like what I referred to the other day. I'm a kind of person who always wears gray socks. Only the cool people wear gray socks, and I'm one of them. If you don't have on gray socks, I'm going to ignore you because you're, and that, that's personality view. It's convinced that we're all permanent selves and really hang on to it. You're clinging to an idea of self, internally and externally. Well, you give that up at stream entry. You don't have and live from a place of not-self yet in, in an ultimate sense. You're not, it doesn't, you, you know, you're not, you don't have the full thing yet, but you've given up a big part of it. You're really willing to see uh, non-attachment to that. So you give up doubt, you give up identity view, and you give up um, attachment, attachment to rites and rituals. So those first three fetters are what are abandoned at stream entry. And then they, the next three levels of enlightenment, the, the next one is called um, once returner. So if you get this far, you'll only have to come back into uh, the world one more time after this life. Um, and... Uh, the once returner uh, begins to make headway with greed and aversion. So if you're not yet a once returner, in other words, you're not at the second level of enlightenment, um, you're going to still have greed and aversion. So you know, if you see greed and aversion in people, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not on the path and they, that they've not attained stream entry. They're still struggling with it. And in fact, they might be a once returner, the second level of enlightenment, and still have some greed and aversion. It's not totally abandoned, but it's, you know, I don't know, cut in half. And then with the third level of awakening, greed and aversion are abandoned completely. And then with the fourth level of enlightenment, the five um, higher fetters are abandoned, which are passion for form and formless, which are sometimes interpreted as being attached to the rupa jhanas and the arupa jhanas. Those are two of the five you abandon at full arhantship. The other three are conceit, Restlessness and ignorance. And conceit here is conceiving of a self. So that's when you get rid of, um, really see, you cut through with Manjushri's sword the bonds of ignorance regarding self. And uh, you get rid of ignorance and you get rid of restlessness. So if you have an issue with restlessness, don't worry, it's going to hang around for a long time, at least until you're fully awakened. So those are the fetters associated with the four levels of awakening. <clears throat> the fetters are a little different with regard to guarding the sense doors, looking for the fetter that arises with the sense object and the sense organ. Basically, it's greed and aversion as the fetters. You might see doubt, and that would be good to see. Or wrong view, there is a self, 
or the fatalistic view there is no self. So, if you have an ear and you hear a sound of someone snoring while you're meditating, look at the fetter that arises with the two. And you might want to engage in a contemplation that's uh, spelled out in the uh, sutta. So one knows how an unarisen fetter comes to arise. One knows how the abandonment of an arisen fetter comes about. And one knows how the non-arising of the abandoned fetter in the future will come about. Okay. So how did, how did the fetter arise? We talked about this with regard uh, to the hindrances, how did, which are very similar. You know, know how they arise through conditioning, through karma. But we also know that fetters arise through contact and Vedna and craving. So we also know that through what we know about dependent origination. So start looking at it like that. See if you can backtrack. Find the contact. You know, you had an ear, you had snoring, and your ears were working, so you had contact. And then there was this unpleasant vedna about the snoring, and then there was craving for it not to happen, which is the fetter that aroused with the two. And then how does it abandonment? It does its abandonment come to be? How do you get rid of the fetter? And we talked about the antidotes to all of the hindrances which are posted out there. That's a good resource. And then how do you keep the fetters from arising in the future, which is a more permanent abandonment of the fetters, and it's progress along the noble eightfold path, keeping the precepts, concentrating the mind, inclining it towards insight to get sufficient insight to let go into having a realization of nibbana. And then don't forget about inserting the screen door, the screen window of mindfulness between Vedna and craving. That sword, Manjushri's sword. Sit regularly so your mindfulness is always on the ready for insertion between Vedna and craving. And if you get into craving, notice it as soon as possible so you can let it go. So why do we have this teaching on the six senses? If it's not already apparent, um, it's through these six senses that we experience reality, our world. They comprise the totality of our experience. Can you think of any experience that wasn't through one of the six sense doors? There's a discourse in the Samyutta Nikaya at 3523 where the Buddha says, monks, what is the totality of things? 
Listen and attend carefully, and I'll teach you the totality of things. It is simply the eye and its sights. The ear and sounds, the nose and smells, the tongue and tastes, the body and body sensations, and the mind and thought, mind objects. Anyone who says they are going to describe anything beyond this as the totality of things would not be speaking of something they know about. And in Guy Armstrong's book on emptiness, he says that this teaching on the totality of things was a radical teaching in the Buddha's day. And it's rather revolutionary now. This is it? This is the totality of things? What I experienced through the six sense doors? All that is happening is the unfolding of experience at these six sense doors. Notice that the word I, me, or mine is not in the list. Notice that greed, hatred, and delusion aren't on the list. These are add-ons to our basic experience through the six sense doors, and they're unnecessary. So if we're going to find an end to suffering, we need to become familiar with these six sense doors. And notice what is unfolding in the scene. Just let there be the scene. In the herd, just the herd. In the sensed, in the body, just the sensed. In the cognized, in the mind, just the thought. Or emotion. Or memory. This was the Bahia teaching. We can't quite just be with what's arising without adding on. Our practice will help us develop the ability to see suffering closer and closer to real time as possible, to see the craving, the greed and aversion, and to let it go, to employ an antidote. In the Buddha's teaching on dependent, on transcendent dependent origination, which is found in the Samyutta Nikaya at 12.23, this is transcendent dependent origination. So the dependent origination we talked about the other day is the dependent origination that leads to suffering. This transcendent dependent origination leads to nibbana. And it starts with a known experience of suffering. There are many links in this dependent origination model too, but it begins with a known experience of suffering. So when we mindlessly suffer, there's no chance. But if we mindfully suffer, if we can catch it as close to possible in real time, we have a chance of attaining to nibbana, with a known experience of suffering. It makes all the difference. And a regular practice will help us be mindful of the fetters that arise at the six sense doors, which are causing us suffering. 
along the way between a known experience of suffering and nibbana is disenchantment with our thoughts and dispassion. Guy Armstrong says, since all of our suffering is dependent on the six sense doors, we only have to master six areas to be free of suffering. So it's important to be mindful of these six sense bases and the fetters that arise with them because it's through one's direct experience of them that suffering is both born and can come to an end. In the Anguttara Nikaya, the Buddha said that possessing three, uh, let's see, possessing the quality of guarding the sense doors provides a groundwork for nibbana, uh, the destruction of the taints. He says, um, how does a bhikkhu guard the doors of the sense faculties to lay a groundwork for nibbana? Here, having seen a form with the eye, one does not grasp at its marks and features or its signs. So whatever signs an object has that bring up the fetter, one does not grasp at those signs. So this is pre-fetter work. This is before the, before the fetter attaches. One does not grasp at the signs of the fetters. You don't get involved with the signs of the fetters. You see something that might tempt you to eat because you're imagining what it tastes like, and but you don't grasp at that, the sign of that food that gives you that memory of what it tastes like. You just see the ice cream without grasping at its signs, its marks and features, the signs that make you want to crave it. All right. So having seen a form with the eye, one does not grasp at its marks and features. If the eye faculty was left unguarded, unwholesome states of longing and dejection might invade one. So one practices restraint and guarding the sense doors. He guards the eye, he guards the mouth, he guards the ear, uh, and the rest of the senses. So that left unguarded, these unwholesome states of longing and dejection might not invade him. It is in this way that one guards the doors 
of the sense faculties to lay the groundwork for Nibbana. So this is the Satipatthana teaching on the six sense bases. Regarding the mind door, just for a moment, there's a story about a person living in a cave long ago looking at a painting of a tiger inside the cave and running out of the cave, running and screaming, Tiger, tiger! Painting of a tiger is not a tiger. A memory of an unpleasant situation is not the unpleasant situation. But we react to memories as if they are happening again, now, needlessly reenacting the suffering from it. So can we be mindful at the sense door of the mind to memory? Without paying attention to its signs or not getting involved in them. It's quite humbling to see the mind and its antics. So you can work with the six sense bases on and off the cushion during uh, your meditations on the cushion. Uh, Just see if you can start Noticing what's going on at the six sense doors. Practice being aware of the organs and the objects and the fetters that arise. And then you can do it in your walking meditations as well. If you can just be with what arises without craving and clinging, that's the Bahia instruction. You can just be with what arises in the seen, just the seen, in the heard, just the heard, in the cognized, just the cognized. And if you can't quite get there, just Wind it backwards. Find the contact. Find the Vedna. See the gap you missed. Drop the craving. Oh, and of course, with the six sense bases, one is mindful of them internally, externally, as they arise and vanish with just sufficient mindfulness for attention and knowledge independent and not clinging to anything in the world. Which includes the fact that you're not taking anyone else's word for the teachings, but you're finding this out for yourself.
All right, with regard to the seven factors of enlightenment. Again, monks, one abides contemplating mind objects in respect to the seven factors of enlightenment. How does one do so? Here, if the enlightenment factor of mindfulness is present, one knows that it's present. If the enlightenment factor of mindfulness is absent, one knows that it's absent. One knows how the unarisen enlightenment factor of mindfulness comes to arise and knows how the complete development of the enlightenment factor of mindfulness comes about. And then the same is said for seven other factors, uh, six other factors of enlightenment. Mindfulness is the first, uh, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. I keep saying it backwards, but that's all right. Uh, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, which I'm going to call the calming factors. And then the other three are the energizing factors of enlightenment, investigation, energy, and PT. So those are the seven enlightenment factors we're told to be mindful of. Mindfulness is the first. And then the calming factors, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, the energizing factors, investigation, energy, and PT. And we're told... to know how they are developed, to bring them about, and to keep them around and develop them to perfection. And we're mindful of these enlightenment factors internally, externally, arising and passing, with bare knowledge, independent and not clinging to anything in the world. All right, so the, the, the uh, enlightenment factor of mindfulness that's what we've been talking about in the mornings for 10 days. Mindfulness. Mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of Vedna, and mindfulness of the mind states, and mindfulness of the teachings, phenomena regarding the teachings. So that's the, the first factor. And you can never have too much mindfulness really needs to be developed as a factor of enlightenment. Regarding uh, the calming factors, tranquility is relaxing the body and the mind. Tranquility. It's an awakening factor. So you've been doing that when you get distracted, relaxing the body and coming back. Getting practice in one of the seven enlightening factors with tranquility and with your mindfulness. Another one is concentration. You begin to get a lot of practice with this as well. These are enlightenment factors. And here we're talking about being secluded from sense desires and unwholesome mind states. So... That's the concentration factor and the equanimity factor. Balance in the face of the worldly winds of gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute, pleasure and pain. It's also what you experience in the fourth jhana. And then the energizing factors, investigation, energy, and PT. 
investigating this body-mind process, inclining the mind towards insight practice is investigating, seeing things as they really are, gaining insight into impermanence and not-self and dukkha, Uh, The Buddha says, as a wise goldsmith tests the purity of gold by burning, cutting, and examining it, so should you accept my words only after examining them and not merely out of regard and reverence for me. So investigate things for yourself. Incline a concentrated mind towards insight practice and investigate these teachings for yourself. All right, so that's the investigation factor, one of the energizing uh, factors. The next energizing factor is energy, which is very similar to right effort. Maurice Walsh says it is right effort, which is one of the factors on the Noble Eightfold Path. Each person needs to put forth the necessary effort to work out his or her own peace. Whatever that effort is, when it comes time to meditate, meditate. Develop the kind of energy that is going to help you evolve to rouse spiritual urgency, samvega, what the Buddha was trying to inspire in us on his deathbed. So that's investigation and energy. Uh, And then the third energizing component of the seven factors of enlightenment is PT, which is this delight and glee we've been talking about uh, in uh, the first jhana. So the seven factors of enlightenment are quite opposite than the hindrances. With the hindrances, as you know, we want to learn how to make them go away and keep them from arising in the future. But with the factors of enlightenment, you want to know when they're present, know when they're not, and if they're not present, you want to figure out how to make them arise, keep them around, and bring them to perfection. All right, so the purpose of the jhanas is to produce a mind that you can incline towards investigating reality. So use the calming factors of the seven factors of awakening, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. Use those calming factors to get the mind concentrated. And then use that calm mind to investigate which produces energy. And use the energy to generate some PT and get back into the jhanas with even more equanimity, which makes it easier to investigate reality. So now that you're learning to concentrate your mind, you can really make these factors work for you. A word of warning. If you just hang out in the jhanas, And don't do the energizing work of investigating reality and getting insights. 
the factors get out of balance. These enlightening factors get out of balance. If you just hang out in the jhanas, you have too much calm and not enough energy, and you'll become a zombie. So you have to balance the calming factors with the energizing factors. Balance concentration with insight work. And if you spend all your time investigating without the calming factors of the jhanas, it's likely to be on a superficial level. So what we want to do is investigate with a calm mind and we'll see more deeply, have deeper insights that'll prepare the mind for awakening. Okay, so those are the seven factors of enlightenment. And we'll move on to the last uh, of the five objects of mind, which are the phenomena as they relate to the Buddha's teachings in the last Tathipatthana. And this one is on the Four Noble Truths, which we talked about on the very first night. Again, monks, one abides contemplating phenomena in respect to the Four Noble Truths. How does one do so? Here a monk knows as it really is. This is suffering. He knows as it really is. This is the origin of suffering. He knows as it really is. This is the cessation of suffering. He knows as it really is. This is the path of practice leading to the cessation of suffering. Each of the factors on the Noble Eightfold Path in the long um, Satipatthana Sutta is spelled out at the end of the sutta really nicely. I'm not going to go through it all. But if you're curious and want more information on each of the factors in the Noble Eightfold Path, this is a great place to look. And the long discourse is number 22, the Maha Satipatthana. And so one contemplates the Four Noble Truths internally, externally, and both, the arising and passing, uh, mindfulness sufficient for bare knowledge, independently, and not clinging to anything in the world. And then the conclusion to the Satipatthana Sutta. There's a guarantee in it. Whoever, monks, should practice these four foundations of mindfulness, of body, vedna, mind states, and mind objects, for just seven years, may expect one of two results, either full arhantship in this life, or if there should be some substitute left, the state of non-returner. Let alone seven years, whoever should practice these four foundations of mindfulness for just six years, five years, four years, three years, two years, one year, may expect one of two results, full arhanship or non-returner. Let alone one year, whoever should practice these four foundations of mindfulness for just seven months, six months, five months, four months, three months, two months, one month, half a month, may expect one of two results, arhanship or once-returner. Let alone a half a month, 
Whoever should practice these four foundations of mindfulness for just one week may expect one of two results. Either our hardship in this life, or if there should be some substrata, some substrata left, the state of non-returner. So, one week. Well, we've had ten days. Any takers? It was said, there is, monks, this one way to the purification of beings for the overcoming of sorrow and distress, for the disappearance of pain and sadness, for the gaining of the right path, for the realization of nibbana, that is to say, the four foundations of mindfulness. And it is for this reason that it was said. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.